hello everyone and thank you for joining our Zero Week Conversations uh, presented to you by IHS Market. Um, my name is Cormac Gilligan. Uh, I'm an Associate Director at IHS Market within our clean energy technology team. Uh, and it's my pleasure to, today to be speaking on the topic of solar and energy storage, uh, the symbiotic relationship. And uh, it's great to be uh, joined by some of my panelists uh, who I'll introduce now. So we have um, Michael Grasso, who is the ex uh, Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at Sonova. Uh, we have Leonardo Moreno, um, the President at uh, AES Clean Energy. And we have Matteo Jaramillo, who is the CEO and uh, Co-Founder at um, Form Energy. So thank you all for joining us today. It's a great pleasure to have you all. Um, so just, just before we dive in, I, I, I think it's best that we kind of set the scene of what's going on in terms of the, the solar and energy storage market today, both in the United States and, and globally, because it's been quite an exciting uh, moment over the last year and several years. And I know a lot of our participants have been active in this space for some time. So to start off, I mean, uh, the, this growth story in terms of both solar and energy storage, in terms of the speed at which it's been deployed globally, uh, this year, we're expecting around 170 gigawatt DC of solar to be installed, uh, energy storage 10 gigawatt globally. The pace at which costs have come down, the amount of new markets opening up, the um, ability of these new technologies to compete with traditional energy forms has been quite incredible um, in terms of its speed and scale. Um, that being said, I think uh, it's fair to say, and our, I think our panelists will touch upon it, that the Customer base is getting more demanding. Uh, they continue to want uh, cheaper, better, faster, uh, and increasingly opening up new types of customers. They could be corporates, they could be uh, homeowners wanting greater backup and resiliency, uh, and they could be grid operators uh, looking at new technology, like for example, longer duration batteries. Um, so I think we've got plenty to talk about. Um, so with that, maybe Michael, I'll, I'll start off with you and just ask, what do you think have been some of the major factors in 2021 that have really driven solar and energy storage uh, to grow further? Thank you, Cormac. Appreciate you having me here today and give me a chance to represent some of Energy International and, and what we're doing in the market. Uh, I think some of the key factors that we're seeing are, are one, there's definitely a drive to resiliency. So, you know, Sonova Energy is focused on the residential rooftop solar market. And when we talk to consumers, they're looking for more resiliency in their energy solutions. This is being driven heavily by the amount of storms and other um, natural disasters, unfortunately, that we're seeing across the, the US, uh, whether it's the fires in the West or the hurricanes in the East um, or the you know, the epic freeze that we had in Texas uh, earlier this year, we're seeing a, a drive towards resiliency. And I think that resiliency is really being amplified by the fact that we've been um, working out of our homes, we've been operating out our homes. As you look around, even on today's panel, you still see that a lot of our workers um, are, are operating from the home, which they want to be more resilient for the fact of protecting their family or protecting their enterprise but in general, making sure that they have solar and storage solutions that not just drive to an economic solution, but drive that resiliency that they're looking for so that their power supply isn't interrupted and therefore their life isn't interrupted. So I'd say those are, are two of the macro factors we're seeing today. 
Yeah, and, and the same maybe, Leonardo, to you. Um, what are you seeing in the market today and what's changing? Thanks, Cormac. From our perspective, we're going through exciting times because it's a 100-year transformation in the industry. And AES is focused on the large-scale customers, utilities, uh, commercial industrial customers, so differently than, than, than Sanova. And what we've seen is in the past 15 years, people were just building new renewables. So the goal was to build more solar, build more wind. Every country implemented different measures. All stakeholders just wanted to add more projects. But in the past, let's say five years, it became very clear how the intermittency of the renewables were becoming an issue everywhere. And batteries are the secret weapons for this. And I think all stakeholders realized this and started focusing on adding a lot more batteries to the grid. And this year we announced the first of its kind transaction with Google, which we provide 24 seven energy to them. And that, that is the first time any customer had asked for that. And it's the first time anybody's providing this, but basically we're combining solar, wind and energy storage and providing a solution that is carbon free in every hour of the year. So with that type of transaction, uh, I think the, the participants in the market are seeing that this is possible now with energy storage. And we've seen a trend of other stakeholders going in the same direction. Microsoft announced the same hourly carbon-free goals. We have City of Des Moines, Iron Mountain. And the batteries are the secret of the equation. Without batteries, we wouldn't be able to provide this 24-7 solution. So I think that's the future. I think as you add more and more renewables, all customers will migrate from, I just want you to build a project to I want something that decarbonizes my entire load. And the batteries are going to be the secret for it to this future. Well, well, I think that's a nice uh, segue, Leonardo, to allow Matteo to kind of share, uh, you know, your view about, you know, even forward-looking, or I know in the next few years you're doing some pilots, Matteo. So do you want to share what you're doing from a, a technology standpoint? Yeah, th thanks, Cormac, uh, for having me on today. Um, and the perspective at Farm Energy is perfectly in line with what Leonardo just said. Uh, you know, more energy storage uh, will be enabling uh, to achieve the goals that, um, that, you know, so much of the economy is after, which is low cost, renewable, and increasingly reliable electricity, right? That, that's really what we're all after. And um, to do that, we're going to need a couple types of energy storage. Certainly the, the kind that's out there today, uh, pumped hydro in the, in the largest volumes, but increasingly uh, lithium ion um, provide a very valuable function. Um, and, the, and the question is, how do you go from where we are today to providing that 24 by seven completely decarbonized grid to everybody, not just to a, sort of a select few of CNI uh, customers. And, and that requires a pretty deep transformation uh, in, in the grid itself. And from a functional perspective, um, you have to be able to, to step in and replace those thermal plants um, uh, in, the, in the near and mid term. Uh, and so when there is you know, multiple days of, of uh, uh, intermittency to, to use the, the uh, polite term there, I guess, um, you know, what, what is gonna step in there? And, uh, and so it does require a different kind of energy storage. In our case, we're working, what we call that multi-day storage um, as opposed to long duration, just to sort of parse the terms a little bit because it is, it's much more directly uh, referencing the function of that system. Long duration today is used to cut, to refer to everything from, you know, six hours of lithium ion to, you know, uh, pump uh, or you know, uh, snow melt hydro, right? Um, so everything in between. And, and uh, we're focused on that multi-day problem. That is, as we see it, the largest opportunity and the biggest problem to go solve. Um, and what we're finding increasingly is that 
it is not a problem that is uh, located 10 to 15 or 20 years down the line when, when you know, the, the entire system may be at much higher penetration than renewables, but rather there are plenty of opportunities for exactly that kind of energy storage, hundreds of hours of cost-effective duration that's out there today. Um, and that's because uh, the transition is happening very, very quickly. These thermal assets in particular, the coal is coming out and increasingly uh, the trade that has been made for the last 20 years, natural gas for coal is no longer sort of the sustainable, scalable trade uh, going forward. And, and so there are you know, very hard questions being asked and need to be answered around, well, what kinds of assets truly will replace that, the, the reliability in the system for it? Um, so, so we see the market moving very, very quickly. Uh, we see the market adopting different types of assets in the energy storage sector, um, just as it, as it did in the natural gas sector, open cycle and combined cycle. Um, and you'll have some complementary types of assets there. Uh, and we're very firmly going after that multi-day uh, storage application. And, and to, to your original uh, point there, all the customers want more solar. Absolutely. Um, and, the, and the trick is, how do you use solar year round, uh, you know, mm -hmm. every year that you could possibly want to use it? Um, and and it, again, agreeing with Leonardo, uh, the trick is storage there, of course. Mm -hmm. And maybe, Michael, if I bring you back in, um, I know you're doing some uh, work in terms of grid services or business models around maybe virtual power plants. Um, you know, doing some trials today. So maybe you can share with our listeners what's happening with Sonova. Absolutely. So we've got a, a fleet today that uh, is about 160,000 plus customers strong across about 30 states and in, in U.S. territories. And what we're finding is that this set of resources that we have, whether it's the solar capacity or the stored energy that we have in our storage fleet, um, which is about 11% of our customers have storage today and, and it's growing relatively quickly, uh, that set of resources is extremely valuable in different markets. Um, so we've, we've got a lot of participation today in ICE in New England. We participate in that market in both their Ford capacity auction for the, the solar side of the fleet, as well as uh, the connected solutions programs that they have that are demand response programs where the battery can act as a resource at times of need for um, the utilities programs. Um, equally in, in markets like California, we are participating in um, programs in that, that market across California ISO and, and the local utilities to also use the fleet um, as well as in some other markets. So what we're, we're seeing is that there's a there's a, a higher demand in the in both the utility space as well as the load serving entities, um, the ISOs and the RTOs. And they're coming to companies such as Sonova to make our fleet available to them. And as they put uh, better structured programs um, with uh, thoughtful economic structures behind them in place, we're able to both uh, bring the, the resources they need to bear as, as well as to try to pass some of that value on to our consumers. And that creates a, a more holistic ecosystem for us to continue to grow and provide those services over time to stabilize the grid and, and uh, fill in where the grid is, is deficient. And uh, Leonardo, maybe in terms, just continuing upon what you touched on earlier in terms of the, again, the customer base, um, you know, I think it's broadly acknowledged that we've talked about that the technology exists, um, both from a solar deployment, um, wind, and then being complemented with energy storage with different battery uh, technology solutions. Um, what, what is happening? You kind of mentioned some of the examples with some of the, the tech companies um, that you've been bringing to market. I, I think listeners would be still curious to understand 
why why now 24/7 or why these customers are becoming maybe more demanding and and how quickly do you see this kind of opportunity ramping up these yeah, and what we think what we've seen is a, a big change in customer behavior in the past three to four years, right? So if you look maybe three years ago, the RE100, which is the association of companies that target 100% carbon-free energy, they had less than 100 companies, and now they're 290. So this is expanding to be essentially all customers want renewables. And I think this latest iteration is just an evolution of that because if in the past, all you wanted to do is sponsor a wind farm to have some energy that is carbon-free, now these companies are looking at their load and saying, I want to decarbonize everything. I want to decarbonize every hour. I don't want to have some hours with wind and some hours with coal. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a natural evolution. And when you look at the documents coming out of the administration, they talk about 24-7. And this is the long-term trend because what we all want is 100% carbon-free, right? We want the grid to be entirely decarbonized. So what we've seen in the customer behavior, I think it's an expansion of the customer base and an evolution to decarbonize your whole load. And then second to that, their customers are asking, is your supply chain clean? Is your product built with clean energy or not? And that is affecting many industries as well. And that's coming from the customers of the customers. So I think this is a long-term trend that, that is really just beginning. And um, I like the fact that you, you mentioned that, um, you know, customers are, you know, demanding that it's trying to aspire at least to 100% renewable penetration and, and helping them with that. Um, Matteo, I know you, you keep, you referenced, you know, the multi-day aspect, um, but also I, I think listeners would be curious, maybe a little bit around the, the battery chemistry, um, the approach you're taking and um, how, as you explained, it might work in conjunction with other batteries um, but maybe explain a little bit to, to listeners that haven't heard about this approach before. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so we are pursuing this this notion of multi-day storage, so cost-effective over you know four days, seven days, um, whatever the number is. Um, and to do that, that means that you need to be about one tenth the cost of what lithium mine is today. Um, let's say price. I said cost, but let's say price into the market. And um, and so that implies that you need to be today around $20 a kilowatt hour going to $10 a kilowatt hour. That, that's roughly the, the <clears throat> figures that, that are relevant here. Um, and with those uh, CapEx figures, then you really can cover into the 100, potentially 200 hours of duration cost effectively. Um, and what it's doing in the market uh, with that duration, people say, well, why do you need 100 hours? Why do you need 200 hours? Well, well that is... Uh, what the thermal assets are doing today. So if you look at the dispatch profile of a Minmeric gas plant, for example, um, you know, I live in the state of California, uh, we have no more coal. So, so all the 100% of the carbon emissions in the, in the grid from California comes from natural gas. And so you can sort of take, take that profile and say, well, what would it take to replace that performance in the system? Um, because all the, no, not all, but good chunks of the reliability come from that. Um, and, uh, and you sort of bound the problem a little bit, it, you need to be able to discharge essentially con continuously for a week. Um, that's really what it comes down to um, cost effectively. And, and of course, a week is into the hundreds of hours. And, um, and so to do that, again, you've got to be really, really cheap as compared to the options that are out there today, about one tenth the cost. And so that means you have to start with something pretty fundamentally different. You cannot start with 
the materials, the active materials that go into a lithium-ion battery, and then just make it cheaper because the active materials are not one tenth of the cost of the system. They're more like you know one fifth. And um, so in our case, what we did is we started with something that had the entitlement to be as cheap as, um, as was needed. And of course is abundant enough such that if you're successful on the chemistry side of things, you can actually make enough of the relevant stuff, right? That's the other major thing. And so for us, um, we started off with two different chemistries and, and we sort of baked them off for, for the first 18 months. Um, but pretty early on realized that um, iron was almost certainly gonna be the chemistry that we would be pursuing because um, it was not one that we invented per se. It's sort of known, um, uh, iron air in this case, um, stated very simply, we are rusting and unrusting iron. Um, and the version of iron that we're using is uh, uh, from a, a cost perspective, less than a dollar per kilowatt hour. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a material that's already obviously produced at massive scales, uh, primarily for the steel industry these days. Um, but it's also one that humans know a lot about, right? You think about all the work in the last thousands of years to prevent corrosion. Uh, well, there's a, lot, there's a huge base of human knowledge around, around iron and getting it to perform the way that we need it to. Um, but it also has never been tailored for this application, right, electrochemically in, in this battery. And so what we're doing is essentially applying modern techniques to this relatively older uh, chemistry, but, but commercializing it for the first time. Um, but that's where we started. And that's how you get to something that is 20 or even $10 per kilowatt hour uh, by the end of the decade, um, is by starting with very, very low cost materials that are already produced at massive scales um, and available today. Um, you know, part of the challenge here is uh, with as quickly as, as solar and wind, of course, are getting deployed, you, know, you mentioned almost 200 gigawatts this year, um, you've got to have something that um, has a relevance in the time frame that we're talking about, right? We can't be working on something that might show up in 15 or 20 years. There, there's massive amounts of, of build-out that's going to be happening very, very soon. And the transition requires that we have alternatives to the existing tools. Um, and so, we, so part of the attractiveness of starting with this chemistry is um, we can get into the market relatively quickly. That project that, that we referenced briefly is in 2023, but the commercial availability of the product, broadly speaking, will start in 24 and 25 uh, and go from there. And again, has the ability to, to fundamentally scale um, and, and hit the markets that we're going after. And the, the point about scale, maybe Michael, um, from Sonova's point of view, I mean, a huge opportunity is the, the DG market or residential homeowners, um, new bills, existing homeowners. And uh, I know you've been working very hard with on numerous fronts, be it with the, on the technology side, on the software side. So how do you see this opportunity throughout the United States um, growing uh, in the next, I don't know, two, five years? Yeah, so I think that the, the growth that we're seeing this year is outpacing what we've, we've seen historically in, in the residential space. Uh, it's been interesting to, to kind of see all of the projections be beat. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that, you know, the current pace of, of growth, we, we've got 50 to 100 years ahead of us uh, mm -hmm. to get the saturation that we would all hope to get on residential rooftops. So we definitely need to see continued growth. I think that the the solutions are getting better. I think that the policies and the processes are getting better. Uh, this is not a young industry. It's, it's it has been around for a while, um, but I think that you know with us just passing the three million mark on consumer households, we need to find ways to to definitely accelerate further. And I think that the technologies are getting simpler. They're getting more integrated. We're obviously working to drive a lot of that capability ourselves with our different suppliers. 
but we want more holistic ecosystems. You know, we view the home as a nano grid, as something mm -hmm. that is able to generate, store, control, and manage all of the energy needs um, that that home has and, and is required to have with the, you know, the ideal end state of being able to be uh, independent and, and self-sufficient and not be uh, in a situation where they have to rely on the grid. Like we, we think the grid, you know, is, is not a necessary capability of the future. We might still be connected. We might still act as a resource for that grid, but we don't necessarily see that as being uh, something that a homeowner has to be uh, worried about. And so mm -hmm. we want to continue to grow and build resilient systems. We see a tremendous amount of, of upside uh, in the market. Uh, and I think for us, it's just a matter of trying to continue to drive down um, the cost and increase the efficiency uh, and broaden distribution to ensure that homeowners have this choice and, and can take advantage of the solutions that we're building. Yeah, no, and I, I Michael, again, like I, I like the, the reference to the, you know, both the smart home and that people want to be either self-sufficient or want to be able to interact. And even I, I was reading the other day and, and studying a bit about even in Australia, you know, on the inverter side, they're no longer talking about, um, you know, they're looking at increased capabilities of grid forming inverters that they can act in island mode. And even if the grid goes down, they can work with them and they can export at a local area. And I mean, Sonova has a lot of this technology, um, the inverters, the battery systems that, you know, in terms of if it is a virtual power plant that you create, do you see that, you know, coming down the line? I, I know you touched upon some of the trials and some of the examples. Yeah, I think it. I think we have to provide these services. You know, the the, the great unknown is what is the impact of the EV on the local grid mm -hmm. and the local infrastructure. And I think that most people would say that there's no way that we can achieve our EV um, goals as a, as, a, as a country and maintain a stable grid without trillions of dollars of investment. So I think that more and more um, the home and the business that have solar and energy storage are gonna operate as a balancing resource for you know, the demand that's gonna um, not necessarily be evenly distributed, right? We can't mm -hmm. always control uh, what consumers are, are going to do in the home or at the office or what trends are gonna, are gonna change those consumption behaviors. And, and, and we can try to do that with software and hardware, but at the end of the day, consumers make decisions whether they're residences or businesses. So I think that the capabilities we build extend well beyond just, just supporting that local home. They, they, they are intended over time to be more and more uh, part of the, the matter that makes up the, the broader um, energy infrastructure in the country. And I think that you know operating these capabilities with smart software um, that Sonova has or that we work with others in the industry to, to participate in is going to bring all these resources to bear. And I think that as we look across these other technologies and technology providers, you know, it is going to be a matrix of technology and capability um, that is the backbone of the future of, of the energy supply and the energy um, resiliency that we need as a country to continue to move forward. And I want to bring in Leonardo, particularly on the point that Michael raised, you know, software is going to be an important part of the mix. And I know um, AES has done some partnerships with X or formerly Google X and, uh, and also with some other uh, third parties with, with reference to maybe energy efficiency. So I don't know if you'd like to touch upon any examples yourself, Leonardo. Yep. 
No, for sure. I think it's it's useful to put a finer point on the intermittency of renewables, right? Because renewables, they are intermittent within the day. So you have solar when there's sun and no solar when there's not, and wind varies through the day. The solution for this intraday intermittency is the short duration batteries, right? The lithium ion batteries are the best solution today. We have Fluence as our portfolio company. We're the global leader in that area. But you also have the interweek problem. And for that, you need longer duration batteries. And I think Matteo is kind of spearheading the, the, the world really on this and pushing the technology there. But you also have the intra-seasonal technologies, which is in winter, you're gonna have different demand than in summer. And then you have other, you need other energy storage technologies such as hydrogen or other things that can expand that. So that is on the energy storage side. But then you also have the grid side. So the grid today is managed, it's not managed digitally. So when I put an application for an interconnection, an interconnection filing, it'll take two or three years for me to be able to build the project. But if you had a fully digital AI enabled grid that would optimize where these resources go, this would be instant. That's the case with the internet. If you wanna have access to the internet, it's instant because the network is self-managed. So our effort with uh, the X team is on that direction, right? To create the virtual AI enabled digital grid. And I think these, these evolutions should go in tandem. On one side, you have the evolution of energy storage. Lithium-ion already deployed at scale for the intraday intermittency, longer duration like Mateo has, and the hydrogen. And on the other side, you have the grid world, which is making that digital and also creating many more demand response products that can also match the load with the, with the generation. So I see the next 10 years as kind of a hard push in the technology development in all of these at the same time to reach the goal that we all, that we all have of the 100% carbon-free grid. Yeah, if I can jump in on this one too, I, I take a slightly different view um, on the role of software um, and you know, certainly a huge role to play, of course, in the management of the grid day-to-day, uh, -day, but also in the planning of the future grid. So what we need to be doing is applying the right uh, modeling and analytic tools to make the right plans for the for the future grid, and so this is an area that that Form has spent a lot of time on um, as well, uh, to know if we're developing the right technology uh, that that solves uh, the problems here. Um, those those you know seasonal uh, questions, um, you know that's one of the big big things that needs to be answered. Uh, you know what kind of resource is needed there, and it can be solved in a number of different ways. Um, of course, you could solve it by overbuilding, right? We, we, there are seasonal differences. Indeed, the summer sun is stronger than the uh, winter sun, uh, but but also uh, in many regions, winter wind is stronger than summer wind. And so thinking about sort of the interplay uh, between all of the resources that are out there and what types of meteorological years you're trying to model. Is it a one in 10 years, is it a one in 100 years, right? Are we looking retroactively? Are we trying to forecast going forward? Um, and what is the role of different kinds of energy storage within that? Um, those are the questions that, that do need to be answered in order to make the right plans, right? And therefore the right investments for the kind of grid that we have going forward. So um, I, I, in, the, in the work that we've done, what we have found is that to solve the seasonal problem doesn't require a seasonal storage element. Uh, what it requires is hundreds of hours of duration in the mix of all the other generation resources, right? To be solved optimally, because you could, 
you can sort of run the thought experiments, right? If all you have is lithium ion as your, as your one storage option, then you end up building a lot more renewables, right? You end up overbuilding. You have, let's say 20 hours of lithium ion because it's not really cost-effective to do more than that. And then you're massively overbuilding on the renewables, which has a huge knock-on effect for land use and you know, permitting and everything else. Now you inject different another kind of energy storage. Let's say it's a multi-day storage. You end up with far fewer overbuild of renewables, a good amount of lithium ion and a good amount of multi-day storage. And, and with that, you solve the seasonal problems. So um, now that, that may not be true in every part of the world, of course, um, but we've looked at hundreds of different locations with hundreds of different counterparties um, and system operators and, and have pretty firmly concluded that what you need in, in, in the maximum case is about 200, maybe 250 hours of duration to solve even the most naughty uh, sort of seasonal storage problems. Um, again, it's all about cost, right? You, you certainly, you could use hydrogen uh, for, for this as an approach. You could also build out transmission. You could also do carbon capture. The question is what is most cost-effective to solve the problem on the grid, um, given the mix of resources and given the sensitive uh, and high fidelity modeling uh, that, that has to be done to really uh, understand uh, just how sensitive these outcomes are. Um, so so that, that's a key function for, for the role of software, I would say, um, in this system going forward. Okay, uh, so thanks, Matteo. I, uh, I do, I, I suppose maybe one short question to that is, even today we're hearing about, you know, um, certain climatic conditions or major events like from intergovernmental panel on climate change, and that maybe some of our assumptions in the past need to be improved upon because places are getting windier or getting drier, or getting wetter. Um, is, is that part of, you know, can that be factored in? Is it possible, do you think, to model some of that into the new grid of the future? I, I would say it needs to be, um, yeah. and, and we certainly do. Um, you know, we sort of call that non-standard meteorological years. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, they are increasingly standard, right? Um, it's just part of, of, of the, the mix going forward. So, uh, you know, these quote-unquote extreme events um, w w are part of what needs to be modeled for sure, um, and probably even more extreme and even more frequent. Um, so, so running this the full sweep of sensitivities um, is is I think required uh, to make the right investments, the right plans uh, going forward. Thank you, and maybe, maybe just one last rapid fire question to everyone. Um, maybe starting with Michael. Um, if we look, you know, to a little bit more into the future, maybe five, ten years, is is there anything that you think uh, the industry or the uh, the players in the market need to be really focused on from a solar and energy storage point of view, or, or is there something that's you know dear to your heart at the moment that you're that you're really working on hard? Yeah, so I think we'll we'll have eclipsed the current technology and the current thinking um, pretty significantly five years from now. Uh, the you know the the way that the systems are are going to come together and the types of capabilities they're going to provide. Uh, are going to be pretty well advanced. I think that there's a lot of optimization that 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 still needs to occur in sizing the resources. Um, you know, and, and what role those resources play? Are they just for the home? Or are they really a truly distributed resource that we're going to maximize? You know, to 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 try to generate more energy um, at the node, right? And I think that's really where the market's going to go. Is you know, if I've got this this effectively this free real estate, which is the roof of my home. Why not maximize the efficiency of that real estate? 
you know, how do we change the policies and the regulation that's out there to allow for more net metering, to allow for more of that energy resource to be available where it needs to be available versus being, you know, versus generating electricity 50 miles away, if I can generate it five feet away from where it's used, I think that's a better use of that resource. So I think that we have to push on uh, the regulation, the policy, and the technologies um, all to uh, drive to let us create more value for the consumer and at the end of the day for the grid and, and, and for all those that are participating with it. So I'm looking forward to that evolution. And maybe the same from your point of view, Leonardo? I think from our perspective is we want to see all stakeholders pushing in the same direction. So the idea of decarbonizing every hour of your consumption is one. The idea of fomenting new technologies such as long duration storage or demand response is another one. But the, the challenge that we have globally is, is a huge challenge, right? So we all have to come together and realize that the, the goal is to decarbonize every hour and we'll need all these new technologies to, to get there. So from the customer and stakeholder perspective, it's kind of continuing the push and, and pushing the boundaries of the new technologies of and the new sustainability standards. But I'm pretty uh, optimistic. I see that we made a lot of progress. I see all the stakeholders moving together. So I'm very optimistic about the next five years. Thank you. And, and Matteo, last words on, on that same question? Yeah, I, I, in broad agreement um, uh, with, with what's been said here, um, I would say what's particularly encouraging is that I think the, some of the largest stakeholders, i.e. the governments, uh, whether they're state or federal or you know, other nations, um, recognize very keenly uh, the, the role that they can play that enables the newer technologies to come in. In other words, they have to help bridge you know, pre-commercial technologies getting into the commercial scale. Um, and I would say that that's, that's a role that they have you know, uh, avoided in the past um, or, or done so, you know, sort of peeking between their fingers. And, and I, th I think now uh, there's broad recognition that, that now is the time to just um, forge ahead and uh, go ahead and get some of these things in here. You, you see uh, ruling, rulemaking coming out of the state of California, for example, go, go procure uh, these newer types of technologies, uh, you're covered to go do that. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of um, uh, acknowledgement and, and action around uh, that specific role to be played, right? How do we get these newer technologies in? Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's not just hardware like, like what Form is working on. It is, uh, you know, with respect to uh, what Michael was talking about, right? The, uh, how do you take into account um, the distributed uh, resources as well? How does this whole thing play together well? Um, we have to be experimenting to some degree um, all the way up and down uh, the, the, the network of the grid. Mm -hmm. Well, well, thanks, thanks to you all. It was uh, I, I, I could talk for a lot longer. I, I think we all are pretty uh, pumped and excited about this uh, this topic of solar energy storage. Um, I think you've all kind of given a, a we're all pretty optimistic that any of the challenges there some of them are not small. They're actually getting maybe uh, harder and harder as we as we grow the market, um, but they're not surmountable. I think that's one of the key takeaways. And as Matteo touched upon and Michael and Leonardo, I think it's, everyone is working on all different aspects, hardware, software, um, working with the grid operators in, in partnership. And everyone is, if anything, one of the, the good points out of the pandemic is that it's accelerated um, a lot of the drive towards this energy transition. Um, so with that, I'd like to thank you once again, and thank you to all our listeners. And um, that's, that's the end of the presentation from IHS Market.